Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Witch Cafe. This is your safe place to talk about anything paranormal, fringe, UFO, UIP, basically anything without being judged. Tonight, we have Mr. Nathaniel Gillis, who, you know, I'll let him tell you about his specialty. But before we get to that, I want to say thank you to anybody listening on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Anomalous Podcast Network. Thank you so much for your support. Like, subscribe, share, rate, whatever you can do. And thank you to everybody in the chat. I see some lovely people that are always with me. Diesel Girl Stewart, Akashi Chris, UIP Experiencer, Enzo, and Nikki's here. And a bunch of other people will be joining us. So, Nathaniel, do you do it by Nath? Do you like that? Do, how, how should I address it's you? It's okay. It's Sir, okay. I've had, <laughs> Mr. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. I'm very informal. I'm really looking. Call me, call me Nathaniel. Nathaniel's okay. to work. Okay. So Nathaniel, for people that do not know who you are, or sort of just getting, you know, curious about realms outside of their everyday comfort zone, who are you? What do you do? So, well, first of all, my name is Nathaniel Gillis, as you well know. And, um, my, I wouldn't say expertise because I don't think you can be an expert in any measure of the phenomenon, but my specialty is researching the footnotes of history with respect to demonology, what our ancestors experienced, the entities that they encountered, and what I've been doing lately is trying to understand what they were experiencing and, and really what are called behavioral patterns, right? Not just the manifestations, not the apparitions themselves, but what were the behavioral patterns that these entities are doing and performing and so right now like I, I used to be uh i used to be very deep in ancient texts regarding demonology now what i'm doing right now in my career is i'm researching the different uh various interconnectivities between the ufo abduction phenomenon and what people used to consider to be demons so that's really where i'm at now with it uh so that's really the kind of, i'll tell you this i think that's the approach that i share that i can bring to the table um, I'm not an expert in it, and I'm not the one that's going to, you know, say I know for sure what's going on. I don't think any of us do, but that's really my approach to this at this point in my career, understanding it through the ancient lens. That's great because these patterns obviously have happened, and these beings are not new to us in this era. So it's very important to look at our past and present and make those ties. We're lucky we have you to do that because it's a lot of reading and studying. Um, yeah, so how did you yeah. get involved in this? Like, so this is a unique you know, path. I tell people, um, you know, I'm really excited about having a demonologist on. That's you know, and they're like, "Whoa, that's that sounds like you know." And to me, yeah. it doesn't. I've always just been curious about different beings and entities, but um, how did this start for you? Why did you decide like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is my interest. Um, just that whole thing in general. So I was confronted by the paranormal at the age of eight years old. My family, my family had moved into a, a new house in Ohio and it was even at the open house itself. I started experiencing paranormal phenomenon. Uh, you know, I was in this room that my parents were going to give me once we moved in. And my dad took me in there and basically said, you know, take a look around, figure out where you're going to put your bed, your gaming system. And he said, I'm going to go out into the living room with your mother. And we're going to talk to the realtors and just hang out for a little bit. I said, okay. And uh, from that moment, I remember smelling this pervasive stench. It smelled like a corpse. It smelled like re rotting or organic matter. 
And one thing that I remember, it was very interesting because I, I, could, I remember there was nothing there. Like obviously there was no dead person there, there was no corpse present. But I realized even at a young age that I was smelling some form of consciousness, that this was a living, vibrant entity that was in that room present with me. And so I was also led to get on all fours, get down and I opened, I actually unfolded and pulled up the blanket that was on the bed. And I'm looking underneath the bed itself and I come face to face with this full bodied apparition. And it was a, uh, it was, a, it was a little girl. She was about maybe six years old. She had long black hair. She was pale in complexion. She had a white linen dress that looked to have been made during the turn of the century. And uh, when we kind of met each other eye to eye, she recoiled, I recoiled, and then she shimmied her body all the way to the back of the wall. I cashed out, checked out, deuces, I'm gone, okay? I'm You're gone. not my room, Dad. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, all right, you know, okay. And, and, you know, at that point in my life, I was young, you know, I was very mm. inexperienced, very mature. And so I really told myself at first, okay, I'm not crazy. Yes, there was a girl there, but I believed at that time that she belonged to somebody in the neighborhood or perhaps a family that was actually selling the home itself. Uh, come to find out that neither of those cases were true. She didn't wow. belong in the house at all. And then so once we actually moved in, I started experiencing a very localized manifestation of consciousness. It wasn't just a haunting to where the whole the whole family experienced it. It was something that was right. localized and centered around me. Uh, so so I would go to bed at night and I could hear somebody displacing their full weight on our wooden floors, hearing it creaking all the way to my door. Yeah. Um, so there was, there was various manifestations that I, I experienced in that house, but that's what really led me to to want to understand this. Uh, you know, what not just like I said, not just you know why I was afraid, but was what was it was this entity projecting a fabricated fear, you know, or was it just because I didn't understand it and that's right. why I was terrified? I didn't, you know, I so I learned how to cope with its presence by trying to understand what was going on. Uh, there was no debating it. There was no confronting it. It it, it, it lived with me. It followed me. Uh, there were nights when I, I would go into a sleep state and I would have a dream where mm. someone would commit suicide. Wow. And it was the same dream. It was on a loop. And then I would wake up in a, in a cold sweat. And this presence would be in the room. It would make me feel like I was the smallest particle in the universe. Oh, wow. But uh, so, so, you know, it left an impression on me. And so, so the older I became, the more I, I dove in very deeply into ancient literature, wanting to understand, okay, is, is the current model of demonology, is it worth pursuing, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what we're dealing with doesn't fit into the blueprint of, of right. the demonology we're aware with. So, you know, so, so once I got through that literature, then I began to realize, okay, there are some footprints in the snow. There are behavioral patterns that, that link the UFO abduction phenomenon to ancient demonological experiences. Wow. And then, you know, so that's where I am today, but that's, you know, it's very fascinating, but guys, this is very dark too. It's not just, yeah. okay, I have a curiosity. A lot of people yeah. have a fatal curiosity in this stuff. Mm. And, and, but that's, that's more or less my story. Wow. That's very powerful. And you've probably, you've talked to so many people and you know that you're not the only one having this experience. I thought I was going crazy for a little bit. 
um after you know my grandmother was a medium everybody in the chat's like yeah we know they've probably heard this a thousand times from me but you know she was open to things and that and she was she was catholic you know she was very like into her saints and angels and dreams and all this you know jesus and the god and she would tell a demon to f off if she thought there was one hanging around um so i don't know if that just opened up the whole area where we were but i had similar experiences um and then especially after having my first UFO sighting at five, things intensified. Wow. So wow. it's very interesting that you're drawing this parallel um, because growing up Catholic, I always thought it was demons and angels. And then learning more, you know, um, and I always knew there was like aliens or extraterrestrials as well. So like it's just super mm -hmm. weird how um, not people kind of shun the, the thought of, of the link between the two. But then right. there's we still don't know enough to say that it's not what's happening. Correct. So Correct. you, this is what you are, this is one of your newer theories or how long have you been uh, presenting this? Well, I've been presenting this for the last, probably about, about the last year and a half. Okay. And, you know, and a lot of what I battle with are, I'll just be honest with you guys. Uh, I would just, I'm going to be very frank. A lot of you you're allowed to be frank. Like, don't you're not going to scare anybody here if you do. This okay. isn't their show because I don't want you to. <laughs> I'm tired of the sugarcoating of this stuff because right, right. it doesn't meet the reality when people come face to face with a quote unquote demon or mean alien or mean extraterrestrial. So please speak freely here. Well, what what I realized early on in the research is that uh, there's a lot of ufologists that are completely illiterate regarding Eastern uh, literature. And so when they say they're not demons, what they're really saying without knowing it is they're not Catholic demons, right? And so what they do is they project their own dogma on what they perceive to be dogma, and it just kills the conversation because in order to have an intelligent conversation, we have to realize that there are different mythologies that have different demonologies. And so, so I think that, you know, to, to be honest with the literature, instead of holding the dogma, looking at the data, uh, you know, I think that, that it, would, uh, it would help us further the field. But, you know, in demonology, one of the big interconnectivities that inspired me to research the abduction phenomenon was realizing that as far back in millennia, in ancient history, the late Iron Age, we have these entities manifesting to women in the images of their lovers, in the images of foreign, like, uh, you know, boyfriends. Some of them had lived and died. And, and these entities were literally, um, there's no exaggeration here, literally weaponizing images in their minds and stepping into roles in order to inseminate them and then to pluck the child or the baby out of the womb and missing fetus syndrome. So within the field of ufology, we have a lot of people who think, okay, you know, their, their research has not been expansive enough. And so they'll say, okay, this phenomenon is, is modern. You know, they, they just started doing this since 1960. And I think that there's a little bit of a narrow view and that's one view that I, I first thought, you know, I, I held on to a lot of that, you know, dogma, but the data doesn't suggest that at all. And I think that what I had to do with demonology itself is I had to put it aside and say that there's a lot of data here that, that just doesn't add up. There's a lot of, you know, beliefs and mythologies and really it was just suspicions and it wasn't really based yeah. on any fact, but the case studies, they speak for themselves. And uh, I think we're going to, we're going to see that tonight. So in your mind or in your, um, you know, we kind of like touched on this a little bit beforehand. Um, mm -hmm. A demon isn't, you know, necessarily like, like Catholicism and Christianity view demon as one way. And that's just one, right. you know, like anything that's Christ based, I would say, um, has that 
that view of the demon. Um, in other places in the world, the demons do different things. They're not just mm -hmm. like these horrible, you know, um, like, a, for example, in Japan, the demons mm -hmm. there are different than demons here. Right, or in, right. You know, in church demons. I mean, demons probably aren't in church. I don't really know. But, you know, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm picking up what you're <laughs> You know, your church demons. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And. Uh, early on in my career, I started, you know, going to my my youth pastors and my pastor and, and all of these experts, literally like linguists and saying, okay, does this really fit the blueprint? You know, what are shadow people? Do you, do you have any evidence of shadow people in demonology and all of these different case studies? And um, but that, that's really what I've been doing, because I believe that the literature speaks for itself. And I think that we need to at least give an ear to it. Uh, a lot of this stuff. Uh, let's get back to the idea of a demon. Uh, you know, our ancestors perceived demons to be entities that would give negative messages. So if you were an entity that was a messenger, and if you gave them a negative message, you were a demon. However, if it was a positive message, guess what? You're an angel. Exactly. So it was just filtered through their worldviews. Now, it's not, it's not to say we don't have cases of abduction in antiquity. And it's not to say we don't have cases of uh, what we would consider to be the incubus you know, phenomenon. But there is a, a sweeping gesture of manipulation occurring throughout history, even into modernity, where it places us as a species in a very peculiar position because we are dealing with something parasitic. Yes. And who cares if we call it alien or demon? I, I personally right. have a theory we're going to get into, but I think we need, to, we need to really clarify what we mean by demon and get into the ancient text so we can understand what they read and not just what they wrote. Yes, absolutely. And I, I totally am all about that because we, people think that they're discovering things now, but they're not discovering. They're just understanding something from the past in a different way or in a language that is receptible to them. So you had mentioned, um, and I think, you know, like I, you had mentioned something called, was it apparitional abduction? Yes. And that's a very real thing. Um, Apparitional abduction is is pervasive in this field. And what we're dealing with right now are experiencers, a lot of them, who are who are thinking that they're being abducted bodily. And then, you know, so they see without their real eyes, they hear without their real ears, they experience, they think. And while their whole time their body's in bed or their body's in the car that they left. And then it's not until the abduction ends that uh and this is what they call it that they become physical again right and then they realize oh my god that entire situation was me being out of my body and this is a narrative that uh, it's 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 everywhere in the field of ufology because even with betty and bob luca they literally peeled betty luca's soul out of her body they peeled her apparition wow uh bob her husband uh for the researchers out there this is ray fowler's work um, but yeah, Bob leaned over one night in the middle of the night and looked and watched her apparition leave her body and float out. And these entities peel literally her soul out of her body. Now, the reason this should give us pause as a species is because this is happening without our consent, number one. And number two, they're actually educating the soul and not the body. Literally, like it's crazy because it's okay. Like, like we had one case of uh, an abduction experience where they took the soul, they placed the soul in a chair, 
and the chair itself was tailored almost as it was molded after her apparition. Wow, now, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole different dimension of abduction here. But um, yes, there, there are a tremendous amount of case studies that imply, not even imply, they, they, they absolutely say that there are people who are having their souls pulled out of their bodies and that these entities are not just abducting the soul, not just manipulating it, but they're treating the soul like we would treat the body. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're working on the soul. They're, they're taking things from it. They're putting things into it. And we also have evidence. It's not just, okay, apparitional theory is what this is called. We also have evidence, because uh, I know we, it's, it's already 818. Uh, oh, you're I gotta, fine. I gotta, I gotta, all right. Uh, um, I'm, you know, I, I tell you an hour, but if we run over and it's okay with you, um, okay. you guys are my date tonight. So you guys are my night. Sweet. So. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so, you know, we, we do have evidence as well that it's, it's not just that it's a, uh, a soulish abduction or an apparitional kidnapping, but it's also that once the soul gets back into the body, that the skin begins to manifest whatever was done to the right. soul. Um, now, there's a picture that I emailed to you. You don't have to put it on now right. unless you have access to it. Well, I will start. I'll get those ready while you're while you're talking about okay. this and while I'm listening. Yeah. So. so so with Betty Luca, uh, keep in mind, they, they pulled her soul out of her body. She's disembodied. She would be what we would consider to be a ghost. Her apparitional self is, a, is a kidnapped and abducted. But when she's placed back into her body, both her and her husband witness skin manifestations, markings on her body that were not there until she was back into it. Now, this is, uh, this is also known throughout biblical antiquity in Mesopotamia. They would teach, they taught, it's in, it's in Ezekiel chapter 13 in the Bible. It's also in your Akkadian texts that there was a species of necromancer that existed and that when you would come in contact with them, you would possess some form of spiritual uh, vulnerability. And, and in other words, like it would affect the soul first. It, would, it was called pollution. And then once it was a spiritual condition, then it would manifest from the inside out. Wow. Right, so it was soul first, skin second. And so in biblical antiquity, what they would do was they would go show themselves to the priest this is going to be very interesting because I'm going to link some very, very yeah. good info here. You, let me know when you want the pictures because yeah. um, okay. I, I, I downloaded them. So, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, okay. So, so, uh, but these individuals will go to, and, and show themselves to the priest, and the priest would say, "Okay, have you experienced a certain amount of phenomenon here? Have you encountered a necromantic, or it's really what's called a necromantic species? Have you encountered these entities?" Mm -hmm. And they would say yes, and so then they would perform. A ritual. Now, the Catholics bastardized this. They called it the exorcism. Okay. Really, it was what's called, it's, it's holy water, but it was a form of baptism that was designed to cleanse someone from corpse pollution. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of the right. herbs and such, right, that they used to use yeah. in old, what um, some people use it now as like Florida water. A lot of the herbs that are in these like cleansing waters were used all the way back in the middle ages to sort of hide decomposition um, mm -hmm. smells and um, actually to put on the body at, in funeral homes before formaldehyde was a thing, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, it was, it was very interesting because throughout history, it wasn't just okay that if you encounter a corpse in a house, you're polluted, but it was also that if you encounter the consciousness that was in the corpse, wow. 
they had, yeah, so what, what was happening is you had people who were literally being possessed with the consciousness that was in that corpse. And then, you know, then they would perform the ritual. But that's what they were doing. And so if you, if you experience this necromantic species, they would perform this corpse pollution to get, you know, clean and get all the, you know, just whatever, the darkness out, whatever. Moving <laughs> forward, we see, again, it's the soul first, skin second. With Betty Luca, the same behavioral pattern. Soul first, skin second. And I do believe what's happening a lot of times is there are people that are not realizing that they're being plucked out of their bodies. And then when you get back into their bodies, they're seeing the manifestation on the skin, thinking they pulled my body and not the soul. Does this make sense? Yes. And, it, and that would make sense to anybody that's not um, been reading about exorcisms that is what, what most right. people will call it or abductions because right. this whole thing happens like what in the dream time is what people think and then dream you state. wake up and you're like well it must have been real because i have either like yeah. finger marks on my skin or um you know implants or like you know just different things happening 100 100 uh and so you know, the, the soul first the skin second now the reason I suggest that is, is because not just that I found that, that behavioral pattern in hauntology and ufology, but I've worked on cases personally in hauntings where people have been attacked. And here's something that you got. This is very interesting. I, don't, I can't explain it, but it's real. Where there's a burning sensation that occurs and there's a scarification that occurs subdermally underneath the skin and then it moves itself to the surface. Wow. So it points to the, that these entities, again, that they're not attacking the body, they're attacking the soul, and it's manifesting on the body. Put that aside. I was doing a lecture one night talking about different scarifications in demonology and how, you know, there were demons that would carve symbols underneath people's eyelids, and they had no idea their whole life, and then they would do an autopsy, all this stuff. Wow. And this individual reached out to me and said, I want to talk to you about my father. He said, my father is dead now. He said, so I can tell a story. So we get to, you know, sharing emails back and forth. And finally, he sends me a couple pictures regarding scarifications that his father suffered. Here is his story. He said that my father was a renowned remote viewer in the city. And he would go into trances. He would meet his guides. Sounds like an abduction. He would leave his body. He would meet these entities and they would give him prophecies. This is what's going to happen you know, there's a person you know that you work with, and I'm, I want you to tell them A, B, and C. And then he would return to his body, and then he would go and tell them, you know, what he was told to tell them. He said, one night, he said, my father stumbled down the stairs. He was incoherent. He was traumatized, and he couldn't breathe. And he mm -hmm. said, finally, he, he just passed out and had a heart attack. And he said, once we got into the hospital, we're taking his shirt off to put the robe on him. Uh, he said at that particular moment through the skin, underneath the skin, he said, we begin to witness symbols. And there's a picture that I see. You could pick either one, yeah, but it's a man's chest. All right. I'm not a pro at this. Share screen. You're making me feel better because I'm not either. Oh, no. I, this is the first time I've shared something, but people know. So <laughs> screen, screen sharing works on the best computer. Okay. Let's see. I know how to do it, guys. <laughs> it's okay so um, i, I will figure it um yeah keep going while i figure it out <laughs> okay so so you guys see underneath, that underneath <laughs> the skin uh-oh did it okay. did it show up and then it went away 
All right. Um, it's all good. Let me know if you can see it. Can you see it? I can't see anything. Let me get to the chat. Mm. No. Okay. It's okay. It's, it's no, okay. I'm, there oh, she there is. is. Okay. There we go. There we go. So, so these scarifications were subdermal first. And he said that it was crazy because they, uh, they witnessed them. Sub so, so imagine this underneath the skin, they emerged to the surface of the skin. Now, what had happened during his soul abduction is that he met these entities and realized that these entities were not what he thought they were. They, they, he, he said they looked like what they usually looked like, and they flanked him on the right and left sides. He said, but suddenly something changed. The mm. atmosphere changed, and they changed their, their, their appearance. He said at that point, he remembers being slammed back into his body, feeling a burning sensation in his chest, and then passing out with a heart attack. This is, these rather, these are the amulets that they carved into him subdermally. I believe, again, they're doing it to the soul that's manifesting on the skin. Wow. Now, that's... what's... A... <laughs> right, and I'm not the only one uh, of the researchers out here that have had a case like this. Steve Mira had a case like this, and the individual actually died from encountering these, these entities. But, but I would like everybody to pay attention here because this is when demonology starts to fall apart. And this is why I'm starting to lean heavily into, you know, yes, it has things to offer us in, in terms of literature, but they're playing by different rules here because they're playing a different game. Okay. So if you notice, that's the Star of David and that's yeah. a cross on the left. I'm still working with an, a linguist out there who's helping me with the translation of uh, what's underneath that star. But I, I want to I say this very carefully, and I need you all to pay close attention. Demonology does not work like this. Hmm. You have the Star of David. You will not have a Jewish rabbi out there casting a devil out with, with the cross. Right. Right? Because he doesn't believe in that. He'll yes. use the Star of David. Right? Vice versa. Conversely, rather. You know, you have the cross. You're not going to have a priest out there using the Star of David because he's not a rabbinic Jew or whatever, he, he's, you know, a Catholic priest. So what they're showing us right now is that they're eclipsing the microcosm of known religious amulets. And they're using these amulets against us in a way that we're ignorant of. That is super, um, that's, that's crazy because when you grow up with a certain belief and you learn certain things, those are the things you're supposed to be protected by. For example, right. in a lot of my mean alien slash demonic attack things as a child and up until up until my mid-20s and even 30s, um, there was several times where if I was wearing like a, a, a cross or um, people were probably, well, you're a witch, why are you wearing a cross? Because I still you know, pagans believe in all sorts of everything. <laughs> we'll we'll right. take all the gods. Um, but okay. I did have a beautiful, um, you know, view of Jesus. So I had a Jesus necklace very much like this um, Archangel Michael one. And mm -hmm. in the dream, they would rip it off me and they would stop torturing me. But I was taught, you know, in Catholic school, if you have a cross, if you're wearing a cross or a saint, or you have a cross on your wall, or even in, um, even in like witchcraft, people think the pentagram is like demonic symbols, but to witches, it's actually very protective. Um, mm -hmm. Even something like that. Do you know what I mean? So it's very yes, crazy. absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting yeah, and scary. <laughs> it's very, it's very weird. 
Um, it's like, you know, with, with the Catholic rite of exorcism, they, they, they get it out of what's called, it's a scripture. It's Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. And it was never designed to cleanse someone, like I said, from like some fallen angel, you know, in Greek mythology that got his wings cut. It was literally designed to cleanse somebody from being possessed by consciousness. Wow. Consciousness itself. And so that's really what I believe we're dealing with with these entities. Uh, because, I mean, by all accounts, it's almost as if they're pulling us into the dimension of the afterlife, where they pluck the soul out of the body. And at that point, we become the ghost. And now we can go through walls, right? Now we can, and, and that's, I think, it's also another reason why when we, well, a lot of people are abducted, that they witness other apparitional entities. Can I go down this? It's not a pig trail, but we'll, oh, go, we'll figure go it for out. It. Okay? okay. Go for it. Um, so, all right. So, so, um, there is a theory that I'm working on that, uh, that I'm building a lot of evidence for that a lot of these entities are not just embodied. It's not just that they have physical bodies, but there is evidence in the field and the literature that suggests that they can astrally project themselves just like we can mm. to where, right, to where you're, you're literally looking at an apparition, not just the body itself. Uh, like with Betty Lucas' case, with a lot of Dr. Cole Turner's work, these entities will just walk through a wall However, it's very strange. They can dematerialize and materialize at will. That's yes. apparitional, very much apparitional. Um, even like if you get into the American Society for Psychical Research, they talk about that capability where the entity, the, at least ghosts, they, they, they can walk through a wall and then materialize mm -hmm. to the touch. And we see that with so, UFOs as well, right? Like craft, right. Um, transmedium, whether it be into the water or through a wall. Mm -hmm. Correct, correct. And so my, my, my research itself is leading me to believe that we're not dealing with aliens uh, in its entirety. I think that the most alien thing to us as a species is the afterlife. And I think that at least some of these creatures were formerly human, were formerly embodied, and now they're in an apparitional dimension. Um, and I think, let me go deeper. I do believe that uh, that's why when we're abducted in the soul, they converse to the soul. They talk to mm. it, right? They don't have to use the mouth. They, it's almost as if there is a unified stream of consciousness that they connect to yes. with the experiencer that, that transcends bodily presence. Now it's the soulish dimension. And so, so when we're dealing with this, this hypothesis of, okay, it's not just physical abduction, that these entities are literally sucking the soul out, then we have to ask ourselves why. Why is it that when we have experiencers on ships that they're suggesting, hey guys, the ship itself was breathing, there was pulsating, there was consciousness in yes. the metal itself, right? Yes. So that's where I'm at with my research. And I, I will say this, I do, I found every amount of technology these entities are demonstrating. I found it at ancient necromantic rituals. Interesting. Period. That's very interesting. Yeah. So this has been a long, I mean, we've all known, I think a lot of the people that watch my show and are listening to my show are very mm -hmm. open. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of pure nuts and bolts people that yep. don't delve into um, like, you know, ancient religions or ancient, text involving the phenomenon whether it be angels mm -hmm. demons jinn you know anything really mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so i think that you'll find that everybody's very open to these things there's more people that are open to what you're saying than you might realize because yeah. it's been a new kind of like buzz in the ufo world um 
like the consciousness is key. And a lot of us have known this, like early experiencers of entities that we can't describe or abduction mm -hmm. scenarios, contactees, whether it be spirits or extraterrestrial or interdimensional, we are, are kind of struggling to, we know that the consciousness plays a huge role. And I had said right. at one point, like, it's almost like they abducted my consciousness because I was in my bed and I see myself in my bed. Mm -hmm. um, but like my, I can't wake up anybody. And, you know, I'm, so um, I think that a lot of people are leaning towards that. And also, mm -hmm. like you said, they're taking you into another, almost another realm. And yes, a lot of people portal. talk about the, yeah, people talk about like the thinning of realms and, you know, it's not physical there. Like physicality is only bound by this planet, what it weighs. Right its dimensions, how fast it's spinning and traveling, you know, um, we are very like kind of like egotistical to think that this is the only way that things happen. Of course, of course, you know, and it's very, it's hard on us as researchers and experiencers not to get dogmatic about it, you know, because we're so hungry for inspiration and we don't want to be groping in the darkness. We want some sort of reality to believe Absolutely. in. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, like I said, a lot of their capabilities we find in antiquity regarding necromancy, you know. Uh, which Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Um, I'm very For curious sure. about that because that's something that I haven't been able to find beyond like your cookie cutter books on, you okay. know, just because I read about everything. Not that I want to necromance guys, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying like um, I, 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 I read about everything, even if it's scary yeah. to some people. So um you know, you, you, yeah, that's a, that's a good characteristic to have. You know, I believe in that too. You got to have some some curiosity about you. Uh, but yeah, so so when I started getting into demonology, I started realizing that there were two kinds of theories in Mesopotamia, and really the cradle of civilization, really. But they had two different two different kinds of demons. Number one, they believed okay, there were entities that were somehow divine. They had some kind of apparitional membrane about them where they would show up they would induce you into some sleep state you know impress you with their capabilities and presence and then they would leave and they would think okay that person's divine or that entity's divine the second kind of demon the second theory they had was that there were people that were evil that died and mutated into demons hmm. which is heavily where I, that's where i lean heavily and i think that's why again the exorcistic rite in antiquity was what to cleanse someone from consciousness that did not belong in their body. Right. right? Alien. You know. So again, I think that is more along the lines of that second theory that when there are, there are some people that die and the only way for them to stay alive is to self-replicate. Matter of fact, James Frazier, this is going to be very interesting because a lot of stuff is very new to people, but uh, James Frazier was a, an anthropologist. He wrote a book called the golden bow and he talks about the origin of possession throughout history. And he said that it originated on the battlefield when some some soldier was mortally wounded in order for him to survive he would dispossess his own body and place his soul or its consciousness in someone or something mm. else so is that kind of like remote viewing but into a person to a point yes yes <laughs> it's yeah yeah it's it's foreign to us in terms of our evolution right the only time you'll ever hear somebody doing this is people who think of astrally projecting yes. you know by location which these entities are you know doing by location but uh you know you won't find a lot of people interested in this phenomenon unless they've experienced it themselves but these these people knew that in order to stay alive they had to self-replicate they had to find a body in which to place their soul or their consciousness and so throughout history, what they started doing, even as in Genesis 6, what's called the Apocryphon of John, mm -hmm. they started these entities that were ghosts. They were started manifesting the women 
in the images of a lover, hmm. right? And then they would take the seed that they stole from a man and then they would inseminate the body and then they would create a, a fetus in the womb. Then they would steal that fetus and place their consciousness in it. This is the Apocryphon of John. It's a Coptic manuscript preserved by Egyptian yes. monks. Okay. Yes. What it says is that they started doing was they weren't satisfied with just uh, possessing Dirite Edna because there was a, a, an inconsistency about it because you would have a male trying to possess a female or somebody who did not have the same apparitional appearance as the body that they were possessing. So it didn't fit. So what these entities started doing, they were performing what's called a, an abstractic tradition. This is gonna be a lot of information, but we'll get to it. An abstractic tradition where they would appear to the female in the image of a husband they, had, they were with or a lover, they would inseminate her, and then they would stare into her eyes and at the moment of conception, they would reverse their apparition. Now, according to antiquity, the reason they did that is because they wanted a body that looked like their own apparitions. Oh, okay. Right. And so it wasn't just to freak you out, like, you no, know. Right, right. Yeah. No, what they were literally doing was birthing the material image through the fetus of their bodily apparition. So now the apparition fits the body. They both look like each other. It was a way wow. of preserving their life, okay? And so, so as these entities begin to mutate and evolve in their technology and their belief systems, then they started working with uh, what they considered to be idolaters or necromancers, necromancers rather, and they, they taught them a form of technology where these, these necromancers would go out and they would find a recently deceased person. They would dig them up out of the grave. They would take them into their house. They would take a small piece of metal, hollow implant, <laughs> did right. not know this about necromancy because this is yeah we hear yeah. about this <laughs> and they would they would take that small piece of metal and they would carve the name of an unclean spirit or demon on it and then they would place or implant that piece of metal inside the body and then the consciousness of that entity would merge with the metal hello alive ufos and right. then would possess the body itself and communicate. Mm -hmm. Now the eyes work again, right? And so what we're looking at with these entities, like I said, and I'm tying this into a little bow, hopefully, is that we're not just dealing with the hardware of the body, we're dealing with the software of their apparitions. Wow. Right? So so that's why I'm, I'm telling at least everybody I can get on a show with, you know, we're, we're dealing with some necromantic technology here. And if they are, in fact, necromancers, it would make a lot more sense as to why they have a profound knowledge about the hidden potential of the soul, because they are souls. Number that two, makes sense. Yeah. it would also make perfect sense as to why we have the missing fetus syndrome. Mm. Right. Yes. But and people yeah, link that yeah. all to the hybridization program, all synonymous yes. with it's still a hybridization program in that if they're doing yeah, that. Very right? much so. Very much so. Um, you know, so, so when I started getting into the demonological literature, I mean, my God, guys, you know, pregnancy was a form of possession to these entities. Possession was a form of pregnancy for them, too. In the 16th century, we, we had cases, I would call them dream abductions, where women mm -hmm. in, in Israel, it's a province in Israel called Safdi, 
women were being visited in the middle of the night by entities that looked like a former boyfriend, a former lover, or even their husband. And in the dream state, these entities would begin to try to, to you know, cause intercourse. I don't know if I could say that. Some shows I could say that, but, you know. <laughs> I'm not monetized yet, so I okay, think we can say me, a lot of things. Me. <laughs> You're fine. Um, hey, no, you, like, I, I really mean it. Um, I'm not somebody yeah. that offends easily. Uh, I lived in Las Vegas for a while, and I've, you know, I've, nothing really surprises me, so. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so they they would they would encounter these entities, but they would they would encounter them in a dream state, and so you know it, it's to them it was a lot easier to do things in a dream because it's yeah. not real to them. So, so what started happening to them is after the dream state lifted, like you said, they would have different scarifications on their bodies that would mirror what they experienced, and so the next thing you know, we had people that were not just. They weren't just accosted and assaulted by these entities, but they became possessed by the consciousness of the entity they encountered. And then there was yet another mutation. In the Kabbalistic texts, we have individuals who were not just possessed by the entity they encountered. They were pregnant with the consciousness of that entity. To the point where we have case study after case study after, after case study of women going to the priests, the rabbis rather, and the entity itself is in the fetal position in their womb to where it looks like they're pregnant. Mm. And so these exorcists begin to ask the most profound question other than how can a virgin be a father or a mother? Other than that, is this individual possessed by or pregnant with the entity? This is why, again, we need to look at this entire phenomenon, yes. at least I, through consciousness. Because again, like even, okay, if we're gonna be dealing with the fact that it's not just being pregnant with the hardware, right? But it's also being pregnant with the software that's in the fetus, right? Yes. And I believe that's what they've been doing all along is using that, that, that replication program to stay alive. That makes a it's lot a, of sense. Um, it, it does to me um, because we even use, I mean, especially when in people like this doesn't have to be physical. Like the, obviously the metal implant is physical. The scarification becomes physical or, you know, the, you know, the raised signal, oh my God, symbols become physical. But at the same time, like consciousness can create these, um, we know this with stress, right? Like it creates physical um, manifestations Correct. of dis-ease or disease. And why would a consciousness not affect you physically, especially if it's some sort of energy we don't understand yet? And if everything is like energy, vibration, frequency, all that stuff, then like we have to realize that if you, if somebody's conscious, if you're pregnant with some consciousness that's not yours, that is, that's against your free will. It's, a, it's, right. it's an attachment. And this thing can happen um, pretty young too, right? Because we're seeing some parallels um, with like the whole ET hybridization stuff, which isn't mm -hmm. always physical. A lot of this happens mm -hmm. in the dream state and we're seeing it early. Correct. And then we're seeing it pretty much around the time where a male or female reaches, um, you know, right. their... Yeah, puberty. And then right. we're seeing it later on in life as, um, you know, 
the female usually is entering like premenopause and then the male like gets more frequent visiting because I guess you guys don't go bad like we do. <laughs> you guys, oh lord. <laughs> you guys... It's actually really interesting. <laughs> um, it's really funny you, you mentioned that because now, now we're going to get into the programs that these entities have been performing on us. Um, we're going to get into the incubi research, the incubus and succubus phenomenon. And indeed, that's what we, we call them as demonologists. Okay, mm -hmm. you know, they're succubus, incubus. Really, it's just one of the programs that they're running on us during abductions. So can you um, explain incubus and succubus to somebody that might not have be knowledgeable yes. about it? So when these entities got bored or for whatever reason they mutated, they moved away from milking the carcasses of the dead, by the way. They mutated and they started, they started taking seed from living men and then impregnating living women. And so what they would do is if, if it was a woman, and in history they would appear to the woman in the image of a man. Like I said, somebody that, that they were actually intimate with. And these entities, right. and I've had a case like this, these entities had actually weaponized memories that these individuals had against them. In other words, if the individual that that like if the man that they're trying to be to this woman, if he if he wore protection, they would not manifest to that woman as that man. Because mm. the probability of this woman receiving the seed is nixed. So what they would do is they, they knew that much about the memory, the consciousness and what, you know, the images she had in her head. But anyways, they would manipulate the situation. If they had to put them into a dream state to make it work, they would. If they had to tempt them sexually in terms of heightened lust or whatever you want to call it in sexuality, they would. And to get them, whatever they would have to do in order to inseminate them, and, you know, that, that's what they would do. And so what we had throughout history is these entities literally playing roles given to them. Hmm unwillfully literally just a projection of the mind that they step into and i'll be that person as long as i can get this done mm -hmm. and so so particularly if it was a male spirit appearing to a female that spirit was called an incubus if it was a female spirit appearing to the male to harvest the seed it was a succubus now this now, isn't always now they don't always use no. those techniques it's not always a pleasant right. oh that was just me hooking up with Henry again or whatever. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like it right. was um sometimes people are, you know, they're violated when they don't want to be. So of course. well, either way, right. I believe either way it's a uh, like you said, it's a it's an assault. You know what I mean? It's not like okay, I'm giving consent, right? right. It's way deeper than that, way darker. But but what these entities started to do is they started working programs, literally, like it's like a stage. The stage is set, there's a performance to the experiencer. The experiencers not realizing this is not this is this is actually occurring, you know, and uh, one of the ways I believe they're doing that is they're they're hacking, they're looking into the eyes and they're hacking what's called the frontal media orbital cortex. It's right behind the eyes. Mm -hmm. It's that portion of our brain that tells us whether or not what we're experiencing is real. Moving deeper, we even have cases in which era literature. Of, of what what they consider to be witches, but these witches would be abducted. They'd be taken to sabbats, and mm. and they would be they would just witness a program. Literally, these entities were acting out roles in front of them, to where you know some witches thought, okay, you know, I'm I'm having intercourse with a demon, or I'm having an intercourse with a, a corpse, and then yeah. inevitably, in one fleeting moment, the frequency that was used to design this whole set and stage, it went out. And for a fleeting moment, they looked around and realized that that's not a real male appendage. That's not a real man. That's not even a real alien. That's not even a real corpse. 
what they were being poked with was metallic objects. Like a medical procedure type. Correct. Mm. Correct. And they were taken over and then implanting seed. And so, so I need to dive deeper into this because we do, I do not believe for a second that these entities look like graves. I believe just like through history, they've been wearing different masks. And we also have case studies of experiencers who saw the gray apparition at first. So the entity turned sideways and then he realized it was a projection of that apparition mm. that wanted the experiencer to believe I'm a gray. And so, so whatever's going on here throughout history, it is a manipulation of our species that is designed to self-replicate through us. And, um, but that's my little rant. <laughs> Oh, no, it's all right. I mean, we're, <laughs> it's interesting though, because no, I think that that anything that comes out of your mouth is for a purpose or anybody's, even mm -hmm. if it's not, even if, you know, you know, just everybody hears something at, at the time they should hear it. I think um, I was describing to a lot of people, I was like, they were like grays, but they were demons right? to me. It's and the, I didn't know if that was because Catholic conditioning or if it was because of the facade they were putting that glitched out or something. So it's interesting you bring yeah. that up. Absolutely. It's the projection of an image. You know, if these entities have the ability to project deceased loved ones, uh, I'm not, okay, I'm going to give you a case study here. It's from Dr. Carla Turner's work. She had a, a man who was a psychic medium and uh, just like the remote viewer that I was working with, he would go into trance states and be abducted and he would meet his guides. Well, one day he was abducted with his grandmother and it freaked him out because the guys that he thought was helping him were, were deceiving him. And they were trying to groom, and I, I use that as, you know, loosely, but they were trying to groom his grandmother into, you know, intercourse. And she looked at them, this is how quick they can respond. This is how quick they can instantly run a program on somebody. She says, she says, I've only been intimate with one man and that's my husband. He's been deceased now for 11 years. Instantly, from the shadows, emerges her husband. <laughs> that wasn't her husband. No. Right? It's just like the witch literature. That wasn't a corpse. When all is said and done, whatever's happening behind the scenes, you know, is not exactly what we think it is. So, so I don't know how much of that should be considered demonic, because I think if we get outside of the dogma, what's the, you know, What's the base nature of the demon? It's to deceive, right. it's to manipulate, it's, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that's really where, where my research is, is understanding the different ways they manipulate us and weaponize our beliefs against us. It's very, very, very damning for us as a species. It is. And whatever, like you said, we have to look at what, um, what, we're rep what represents a demon. You know, it's not always this little horned thing, you know. Right. And it right. usually isn't um, when people actually see it other than artwork. And um, so how does this work on the flip side? Like, are there, so where do the angels come in, I guess, or the nice extraterrestrials or the nice, okay. the ascended master type spirit guides? Where, where does that play well, into all this? I don't know that yet. I'll tell you why. Because when you get into ancient literature, even texts that precede Genesis, like the earliest text that we have regarding the term angel was Ugaritic. Okay, mm -hmm. so we found our, our, our archaeologists, say that four times, our archaeologists discovered ancient uh, ritualistic bowls where people were carving names of what they called angels. In the Ugaritic text, they were mm -hmm. called Malakuma. And so in Hebrew theology, they retranslated deceased ancestor, holoconsciousness, right? 
deceased mm-hmm. ancestor, which what that's what the Ugaritic texts mention them as angels, ghosts. Mm-hmm. And then what the Hebrew mythology did is they retranslated and said, well, these are some divine beings. And here's why they did that. It comes from the Atrahasis epic where it says the soul of a man, that's the apparitional quality they're pulling out of everybody. That apparition. So they said the soul of a man is the flesh of a God. It was that belief system that influenced our ancestors to say that apparition is divine. Right. And so instead of demonizing some entities, they divinized others. Hmm. However, on the base nature of it, it's still consciousness. Right. Makes sense. It's still people who've lived and died and who have molted their bodies. Some have mutated, some have evolved. So I don't know, again, understanding the nature of the angel and understanding what it meant in the beginning of history. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that we do have a sin and master in the sense like, like you're asking. Uh, because these entities are showing a different morality. They're showing a different value system, almost a different currency mm-hmm. um, and different symbols. So I don't know how to answer that, to be honest with you. I, I do for sure know that there are at least entities that have mutated and uh, right. that have evolved against us. They're not our buddies. Yes, yes. I, I'm just asking because a lot of people, I mean, including myself, like I felt like I would have a scary ET experience and then I would have like almost like a damage control good experience with um, either like a light being that was just a a human shape, but light that I just thought was an angel because being raised Catholic or, you know, um, a nice extraterrestrial, like people will talk about, like, you know, the different ET races, like Pleiadians or like, you know, they're the good guys, right. And out in the galactic world, I guess. Yeah. So I just didn't know how that played into everything um, because they normally don't, um, do anything they don't take they don't have intercourse with you in most cases right. i mean there's if there's right. an experience for everybody out there i guess but um for the most part they're here like you know like people talk about spirit guides and such and a lot right. of them are people's ancestors so that makes sense how you're saying like you know somebody's yeah so it's I'm just sorry. interesting yeah. i just didn't know how that all um I, or if you knew how that all played into all of this well, I think that I think that uh, I could say this. I, I have worked with angels in my past, like at least what we would call angels. Um, you know, I had a case where it was a murder, and I had to do a cleansing in the house, and it was a profound, profound manifestation. It was uh, two girls had murdered. Uh, it was like a thirteen-year-old girl, and a, I think it was a twelve-year-old girl and a fifteen-year-old girl. And they they set out to murder a family. They killed them. One of the the mother. And Long story short, yeah, I work with what we would call an angel, but again, it's just like demonology. You really can't put a, put a finger, right? Right. It's almost as if these are these are liminal beings where they in, they're not just interdimensional, but they're in between worlds. Yeah. And I think that's again that points to the interdimensionality of the soul, where if it's out of body, right. it's tangible to the touch, but it's also apparitional. Um, but so that that's really my stance here. And and okay, we have three minutes. Um, my research you can, again, you know we're coming up on the hour if you need to go over a little bit okay. it's fine um i know that okay. we said an hour if you need it if an hour is good for you and you want to stop we can stop if you want to go a little bit over we can go over um i'm open to okay. um whatever is going to give you you know the time you need okay, to explain fine. it i'll uh, i'm going to give you a case study that was uh was considered by what's called the collins elite for those who are not aware of the collins elite the collins elite was a group that was formed in 1960 it was a group of researchers in the federal government who mm-hmm. did have a religious background. 
but they they wanted to to investigate this phenomenon in the lens of the occult like you know what what are the occultic rituals and, and manifestations of these creatures why is it that alistair crowley performed a ritual the amantra mm. ritual, and then created you know lamb which is an entity that manifested looked just like what we would call an alien gray but this group of researchers they scoured all across the world looking at this idea of what i would consider to be a soul hunter mm. and where these entities are using our souls to to it's not just that they it's not that they feed on them like we eat chicken wings but they do they would use us as batteries or some form of value as currency really. right wow and so so they begin to work with a guy named paul garrett and paul garrett by all measures was just a he was just a house painter but paul garrett had a near-death experience which if you picked it if, if you look closely enough at the soul abduction it looks like an obe because it is yes it looks like a near-death experience because i believe it is yeah i do too i i totally agree with right. that and so paul garrett had a catastrophic accident and he remembers leaving his body and out of body he looked up into the sky and he saw a fleet of these living ufos and he said that they hovered over the crowd there was a crowd of people underneath or below the UFOs and they hovered over them and all of a sudden out of every person there emerged this ball of light and then it went into the ship and he said that that when that occurred every person that had their soul taken from them began to look around as if like they had no like their consciousness is gone wow. the body was alive right but their memories were sucked out, their mind, their intellect, their belief, everything that animated that body as them was abducted and taken. And so, so the Collins elite took that theory and began to investigate the, the apparitional abduction in the sense that are these creatures, these entities harvesting souls for, for whatever reason. So when I started looking into that, I started getting into different case studies where people are abducted and they literally on the ship and they look in across the ship, they see a loved one. Yeah. Or like Whitley Strieber saw a deceased friend. Yeah. People always see family members in correct, the ships, you correct. know, and, and there's even, you know, people say it, it runs in the family too. Like it's like generational. Correct. Correct. And so, so, they they begin to investigate that that motif and the research and so when i got a hold of that i thought oh my god you know what what's you know what's really going on here is it possible that there is a new form of abduction or perhaps the real form or, or at least another version of mm -hmm. it where there are people that have been taken apparitionally never to be returned again yes you made a post about this the other day and i was like i never thought about that Right. But then I thought about spiritual walk-ins that people talk about. Correct. How does that and even happen? All, you know, like. They, yeah, they interviewed Ruth Montgomery. Uh, Ruth Montgomery was a psychic. She worked with Edgar Casey. She she, she she was the originator, rather, of the walk-in theory. These entities, I think, have evolved past that. Because walking in with, you know, like I said, the apparition doesn't fit the body. Mm. Doesn't make it, you know, so that they're not after that. They want a body that looks like their apparition. Um, so, so, yeah, so they started looking at that aspect of okay what if they're all the same obes ndes and abductions and they, they actually they formed a term called kidnappings and if you pay close attention to people like lou alzando and different researchers that are in the government there's a dog whistle they loot they, they they loose 
and they'll call them kidnappings and not abductions. Why? Because that's a Collins elite motif. The reason mm-hmm. they call them kidnappings and not abductions is because kidnappings, kidnappings occur without consent. Right. Yeah. And that happens. Like, I don't know. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave out the part of soul contracts because that's a whole nother right. talk. Yeah. Like, People don't want this to happen. Right. Like we want the, like, you know, and and maybe the good visitations are them priming us just to get used to having weird entities in our room. We don't know. Um, You know, but I have, you know, before any, I've had a a pretty fair amount of both. So, um, you know, um, good ones and bad ones or low vibrational, high vibrational, whatever language you want to use. Um, Light, dark, you know, people have all these different definitions and terms they use, but um, it's just, yeah, like they didn't ask you. Like, I don't know one person that wants to be violated in those ways or yes. to be tricked, right? Or manipulated in general oh. to think that you're sleeping with your husband or whatever. Oh my God. And then, you know, <laughs> and then I, you, I did a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, just the biological effects the next day for people. Um, women will wake up getting their menses like crazy early, um, unusual, almost like a miscarriage. Um, after some of these visitations in the dream realm. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this whole idea of the afterlife being involved in this phenomenon cannot be discounted or ignored. Right. Um, I, I, I was doing a lecture on the incubi phenomenon a couple of years ago, and I didn't realize that there was an experiencer present. And uh, he reached out to me afterwards, like, listen, he goes, I got to tell you a story. And he's like, me and my wife are both experiencers. And he said, the craziest thing happened to us last year. He said, I don't know who to talk to about it, but I'll figure I'll give you a shot. I said, okay. He said, he said, one night it was about like two 30, it was you know, two 30 in the morning. And he said, we're both asleep. And he said, next thing I know, I feel something moving underneath the covers of my bed. He said, at first blush, I thought it was my wife maybe having rest, restless leg syndrome or she was having a nightmare. He said, but next thing I know, some, some, something cold, like cold flesh pressed against the side of me. He said, so I woke up and I he said, one of my eyes adjusted to the darkness. There was a small body shaped over the covers were draping. And he said, but it looked like some some small creature or a being underneath my covers. He said, but I, he said, so I opened the covers. And he said, there sat a, a like a five or six year old girl. And he said, she she looked very charred. Hmm. Okay. And he said she was very pale and greenish. And he says, at first, I said, I thought I was dreaming. And he said, so I reached out to grab her because if it's a dream, you know, it's just, you know, whatever. He said, but then I touched her and he said, I picked her up. And when I did, he said, she looked at me and said, I'm dead. And she said, she said, my brother's also dead. My brother's in the corner of the room. She said, I know I'm dead, but he, he doesn't know he's dead wow. yet. So he said, I looked in the corner of the room, and there is her brother just looking at him. He said, the reason I'm telling you the story is because I've seen that girl in an abduction. Wow. Right. So, so there's, there's an avenue of, of disincarnate, disembodied consciousness involved with this phenomenon. And I do believe that's, again, that's why they're abducting souls is, and that's why they know about them is because they're in that dimension themselves. Not to say they can't possess a body. They can. But it's the apparitional self. I think that's their true nature and that's their true manifestation. That makes a lot of sense um, with the whole theory behind them. Um, 
interdimensional beings. Because if you're cool. if you if you're even a human spirit on the other side, heaven, underworld, whatever you believe in, you are not a physical body how we know it here. You're still it's your soul. It's an apparition. It's energetic. It's Correct. you know some people call it like your astral body, and there's all sorts of terms for it. So yeah. So somebody had a question in here, um, okay. if you don't mind answering it. I know that we're running an hour. I don't want to keep you all night. Okay. I, do, I could talk to you all night. I got a few more minutes, so I'm done okay. with the um, So, and this is a question a lot of people come to me with for some reason, um, yeah. their, their dream life. It sounds super weird to say that um, to some people maybe, but so if they're seeing a lot of like UFO activity or contactee scenarios in their dreams, um, what does that... Does that mean they need to, what can they do about that? Which, how should they interpret it? Or how should they start digging into it even like just uh, to scratch it, it the surface? <laughs> well, uh, it would depend on what their dream life is, like what it consists of. Um, there's a lot of attachments like these entities. Again, it, you know, you, in the field of ufology, they call it the hitchhiker effect. Yes. So that's in, in my research, it's just called hauntology. It's hmm. being haunted. <laughs> really yeah. it is. <laughs> Uh, it's the same thing. They just have different terms for it. But I would want to know what the, the, the dream like the dream life is. I've had cases where uh, people have attachments that only manifest in the dream, and they use that that kind of connection to manifest in reality, like in this dimension. And so, you know, what do you feel in the dream? Do you wake up with a heaviness? Do you wake up like you know? Is there depression? Mm -hmm. Is there suicidal ideation? What's going on mm -hmm. here? Uh, because a lot of times, what will happen is they that we will see things we're not allowed to, or we were not supposed to, and then when we get back to this dimension, they'll haunt us. Mm -hmm. Skinwalker Ranch case studies tell us all about that, where we witness too much, and so it's like Nietzsche said: you look deep enough in the darkness, it looks back at you. Mm -hmm. But I, if that was my case, I would want to know what's going on. What are you? What are you? What are you visualizing? What are you experiencing? And that's where I would go with it. Is there anything that people can do to protect themselves from opening up to this? You know, um, yeah. like people, well, some people want to contact beings. They do the CE5 or human initiated yeah. contacts. Or yeah. if you're a witch and you're like, oh, I want to work with some dark and dirty you know, stuff. <laughs> um, and no, then all no. of a sudden, you know, I, but without even opening up, people are experiencing, without even like opening up on purpose, people are experiencing it. Is there anything they can do to um, stop it, prevent it, uh, protect against it? Well, I would suggest to, re to, to use religious amulets to the best of your knowledge and your capability, whatever your tradition is, use that. I'm not saying that I'm going to prescribe that in the sense of, okay, it's going to work 100%. The case study suggests that sometimes it does work. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't. Now, there is some kind of abhorrence these entities have about iron. Uh, in antiquity, we had mothers who were impregnated by these creatures. Uh, and they, this wild, wild phenomenon, but they would, what they would do in Mesopotamia is they would create a second phase and where that second face is a necklace, because what Lamishtu would do is she would descend down in the, at nighttime, look in their eyes. And then as they were looking yeah. in the eyes, they would take the child out of the womb. It's heartbreaking to realize how far we are, but you know, that's, that's what they were doing, but they also employed iron. Um, and I'm not the only researcher that suggests that they, they have some kind of hatred for it. They don't like yeah. it. I don't care. I don't know what it is, but it does tend to, to work against them. Now, 
Now that's what I would suggest. I'm not going to get into what doesn't work because that's not you know what the question is. But I would yeah. suggest doing that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that's because a lot of people dabble in things and then they find themselves. But I have heard the iron thing. Yeah, you know, like the best advice is to not. You know, if if something has a bad reputation, it's probably for a reason. Um, so <laughs> yeah. be mindful of that. <laughs> um, yeah, the iron thing. Um, the iron thing I've heard uh, from a lot of different people and a lot of different belief systems from mm -hmm. Christians. We don't know why. You know? <laughs> we don't know why it works. Uh, like, you know, Steve Mayer, like I said, he's, he's a parapsychologist in the UK. Him and Barry Fitzgerald have both, uh, you know, they both agree with that, that theory that iron does kind of push them away. But one thing is, is, is very, it's evident. And it's this, this, this dog was, see, like my dad, when I was growing up, my dad said, you know, don't research that, you know, because it, it, it'll attach itself to you. Right. This is almost like a virus. It's very unique because we have people that are atheists that are being abducted. Right. Christians, Muslims, Jews, all this. And yet it's almost like, again, they're transcending that. Um, but that would be my answer. Iron and then religious amulets. Okay. Yeah, because I know um, some, some, I think somebody asked it earlier about having UFO dreams and if it meant anything. But um I always tell people to start writing them down because you, you can analyze it and see if there's patterns if you keep writing them down. But I was just going to say that. Exactly right. Yeah. And a lot of people, what, what I would suggest is this. Don't just follow the manifestations. We have a lot of experiencers right now that, that, are, that are wanting to become prophets. There's about two of them right now in the field. That it's not just the manifestations. Now they're trying to teach doctrine. Right? Mm. Oh, I've got this new revelation. i got to teach you. Yeah. And I, I think don't... what's happening. Right, you feel what I'm. You got to watch right? out for that because that's happened throughout time, and no, right. it's very rare that somebody is right about what they've received as a channeling. Correct, and let me give you a case study. It's right out of a book called Beyond UFOs. An individual was in a catastrophic bicycle or it was a motorcycle accident, pulled out of his body again, apparitional, and they tell him, "If you don't become our prophet, we're going to kill you. We're going to let your body die. We're going to take your soul." You're going to become a prophet. And so a lot of times, if you look at the pathology of these entities, a lot of them are trying to create prophets. And it's so, so I don't, you know, obviously I study ufology in terms of experience. And I love that. You know, I think it's fascinating and it gives us a lot of implications. But what I guard myself from are people who use that experience to shape our belief system and to say, hey, listen, this is what I believe they are. And then even move into this. I'm the supreme authority over them. Yeah, yeah. I get to define your experience because this is what I experienced. So there yeah. is some kind of narcissistic supremacy that I think, and I'm not going to, obviously there's no names, I'm not doing that, but that there's a lot, some people can- We've can all met have. one. <laughs> We've all met somebody like that. Yeah. So. Well, They're like, yeah, I'm training know. to be an ascended master. And you, you know, and you're like- Yeah. We all want to get to the ascended master status, but um, I'm probably not going to be on Earth right now with all this. <laughs> you know, we correct, all have correct. our uh, our petty crap, and yeah, yeah we... I'm still I'm still wondering why Chipotle's guacamole is so expensive. I'm not an ascended master yeah, yet. Right? You know? It's not even real, man. Whole so, different anyway. ball game. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? But um, yeah. So you know, I'm not saying that my theory is 100 correct. What I'm saying is, at the very least. History has a lot of data to consider and that these entities have been around here for millennia. Yes. Period. Jeff says something interesting 
Hey, Jeff, I'm so happy to see you and everybody else that joined uh, later on after I said hello to everybody. Um, he says, iron's at the Earth's core. It could be that it's one of the most. Yep, it's super great. Oh, I should probably read it because people are going to be listening to this audio. Um, iron is yeah. at the Earth's core. It could be that it has the most grounding properties into this earthen existence. And that's mm -hmm. true. Some people feel the urge to, um, like after an experience, to go outside and or a lot of people have these crazy like um dream visitations and then they're like i need to be in nature and they'll just go like like right. my friend she just started camping and meditating she bought a camper the whole family would go um and it just it healed her in a way and she'd be out there without mm -hmm. shoes sitting under a tree and she was christian she was you know she was like mm -hmm. just wanted to be close to something pure that god created that's very so, important so very good point too but that's a yeah, because I think that that's the you know what you believe in kind of is going to dictate like your um. It's kind of like the whole like a uh, law of attraction thing. Without the actual mm -hmm. law of attraction, people listening that have read all those books are going to get on me about <laughs> like, you yes. can't say anything. You know, like you yeah. kind of like that. You are what you eat. <laughs> they have to dumb it down a little. You know, I'm if chicken you... wings and ranch, baby. I'm chicken <laughs> wings and ranch. Or uh, chipotle guacamole, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sharing all my secrets tonight, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how to protect against demons and uh, uh, where to not pay for guacamole. <laughs> That's exactly what we learned. Right. You're going to get it all. You're going to get it all. <laughs> but he's right. And, and you know, we as humans, there's been, you know, a lot of people talking about like their circadian rhythm being fixed after um, camping. And, uh, you know, I camped from Arizona to Alaska and I had never been. I felt so like... Uh, I felt lighter. I don't know how to explain it. And that's when I started being able to lucid dream more powerfully. And that's like, that could be probably two more episodes. Lucid dreaming when people learn how to fight back in their dreams against these things is right. a big right. thing. And yeah, that again, you're exactly right. You're hitting the nail on the head here because, you know, it's, I think that if anything, these entities are alerting us of that hidden potentiality we have within us, right? That, that God version of our ghost, that, that, portion of us that exists and some people don't even believe in it look how advanced they are they don't care if you believe in it right right they don't care they'll take it out of you without your permission now here's something this is another episode there are people that have had this done to them that don't even know they've had it done to them they've yeah. yet to they've yet to have the memories come to the surface and so so this gets into the, you know dr Carl turner's work it's not just okay are they farming us but are there people who have been taken and that their memory has been restricted from them. Just like Dr. Carla Turner, her husband, Casey, you know, until the, the trauma starts to erupt and, you know, headaches and, you know, migraines and all this. Right. Then they realize, okay, something, there's a form of PTSD that haunts me. But so, you know, that, that's really where I'm at in my research is that, again, it's not just bodily abduction, they're abducting the soul. And I do believe how many people have been abducted and threatened. You don't become a prophet, we're going to kill you. And they never return to tell their story. Wow. The end, which would make them soul hunters. You know, it's, it's, but yeah, I, I keep going. But that's really where I'm yeah, at. Yeah, we're going to have a part two. That new You're coming back. So. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> because so. this is like those talks that I love. And I've seen the audience or the uh, live chat saying, like, I live for these chats. You know, um, I'm so happy awesome. to have found this awesome. community. I was telling you, I you know, I'm not. I even if it's scary and need, some people need to hear it. Um, but yes, that's that's another thing. Like we don't think about stuff like that. Like I, I somebody had mentioned something like that to me a long time ago, 
um, well, mm-hmm. last year, not a long time ago, I had a friend very disappointed that the event didn't happen in this timeline that he was in. And um, okay. it was very, it affected him like really emotionally. Like this person got mm-hmm. depressed and I'm like, what happened to him? You know? And he's mm-hmm. like, this earth is just a soul trap. And I was like, and me, and I'm like, you know, maybe I'm cocky because I feel like um, I've learned how to like fight back in the dream realm um, finally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm it doesn't happen as often anymore. So to me, I'm like, nobody's going to take my damn soul. Like I'm stubborn. Right. But like, right. if, if you don't know that it's happening mm-hmm. and your, your consciousness is just gone and you're just this person walking around that could explain a lot of how people like are different out of nowhere one day. Right. You know, right. Where you can like, look at them and the consciousness can look at you and you not yes. realize it. Cause it, you know, yeah, it's, it's a very, and again, this is, this is a form of possession. Um, you know, possession itself was not just designed to relocate consciousness. It was to replicate life, right? I'll I've, never place my con- I've never heard of it like that. That's, and it makes sense. Right, to self-replicate. And so if you could have five different graves or five different bodies and have one consciousness possessing them all, which we've seen evidence of in abductions. One of them was in the Rimmelsham, uh, well, it wasn't abduction, but the Rimmelsham Forest incident. Yeah. If you guys want to, you know, case references, uh, Peter Robbins, he talks about it a lot. All the, the, you know, five or six different creatures and they all looked up at the same time. Consciousness was shared. And the idea is you can kill one and the entity itself still be alive. Because you were, you killed the hardware, the software is right, it's still present. Yeah, it's 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 like the internet; it's out there, it's everywhere. Right, right. <laughs> Wi-Fi um, demons or something. You know, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to like. No, I know what you're you saying. Know, it's like a web. Yeah. You know? The, the apocryphon of yeah. John called them. They said that once these entities created bodies that looked like their apparitions, they didn't just stop with that one copy. They said they made copies. Yes. Of the body. Literally, and this is going to be getting into the gray study, you know, uh, study of the gray study, where you have bodies that look exactly like each right. other. And that's not Very uncommon in the UFO world, right? Like people talk about um, the grays being like AI or clones or drones, you know, not like the mm-hmm. flying drones, but like in a sense where like, you know, they're just doing their job working, you know, they were created mm-hmm. to do this or that. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that would make sense as well. Um, so you've have like a really interesting take on all this. I definitely want to have you back for a part two, um, awesome. even if it's for Q and A only, because people had some good questions. Um, okay. It's just we only have like an hour because I don't want to keep <laughs> everybody up late. I understand. You know? <laughs> I understand. It's all good. And um, I'd love to come back. That means that means it went well. I mean, like I said, a lot of this is dark and a lot of it's new, and so it's difficult how to like you know measure how 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 is it right. going to go. <laughs> so, well, I think I'll, that anybody that studies the, the abduction phenomena realize that there's a dark side. You know, um, the people um, that think that it's only love and light when it comes to contacting um, other beings have just haven't had the experience or they haven't remembered it yet. Um, so they're not going to be listening to me because I piss them off. So, <laughs> so you are welcome back <laughs> for a part two. Um, awesome. Everybody awesome. in the thank chat, you. thank you so much for joining. I appreciate your support. I know Wednesday night is a is a uh, busy night for shows. Yep, Brad. Brad says this is campfire shit. Yep. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I tell people I wanted it to be like campfire talks or like I remember going to cafes and talking to people about this stuff. Not this exactly, mm-hmm. but like deep conversation. And that's why I decided to call it cafe 
my in the name Sweet. of the channel because I want to have these deep conversations. Um, and also, do you have anything coming up where people um, should follow you? I put your Instagram on because when I went yep. to the website I had, it wasn't um, cooperating. Yeah, I don't know why it's still in my bio. I got to take it out of my bio. My okay. bio. Uh, so yeah, find I, him yeah, on I, Instagram. Yeah, I got on my Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. Yes. And I have a Facebook and it's all under the same name, Nathaniel okay. Gillis. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. I honestly, I, I haven't looked at my schedule. I know I, I'm booked up through, I'm always like two or three months ahead. So I don't know what show I'm doing next. God, God forgive yeah, me. Yeah. For uh, I do have shows coming out. I'll post them. Yeah. Post oh, about it and tag me and I'll share it and all that stuff. Okay. Um, hang you. out for a minute afterwards. I'm going to say goodbye okay. to everybody. Everybody that's listening on Anomalous Podcast Network, thank you so much for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. And uh, to support the channel, please like, share, subscribe. This goes the same for this goes for Nathaniel's channel as well. I'll add his YouTube link in the description after we finish here. And there's other ways to support the channel in the description. Have a great night. And everybody that joined live in the live chat, you know I love you. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate every one of you. Have a great night.